Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. We're in a series of messages on the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed, we had in the basic form that we have it today, in t- within 10 years, probably less, uh, after the Apostle John died, the last one of the Apostles. It's the oldest creed in Christendom. And the reason that's important is found in, third, in John, excuse me, in John, in Jude, the third verse. It says, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, what Christians believed in the first and second century is what Christians are to believe in the 21st century. And we are not to approach Christianity like a smorgasbord. Well, I like this. I don't like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe this, but I'm not going to believe that. No, it was delivered once for all. What was delivered then is for you and I today. And so we're going through and we are unpacking the Apostles' Creed. And we've been beginning, beginning each one of our sessions by confessing the creed together. So if we can get it up on the screen. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Someone who had been brought up in a church where they did not, how many of you were brought up in a church where you confess the creed regularly? All right. They had been brought up in a church where they didn't confess the creed and and they came up, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, and they said, that just pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, it really does, really gives us a capsule. Well, we're looking at the phrase, was crucified, dead, and buried. Now, the crucifixion was the most inhumane way that the Roman Empire had probably all of, throughout all of history, the most inhumane way to kill a person. In fact, it was such a terrible death that a Roman citizen, no matter what they did, could not be crucified. But as Jesus was crucified outside the city walls of Jerusalem, right in front of the place of the skull, Golgotha, the Bible tells us that the guards were gambling, casting lots for his clothes. Now, there were four guards, but there were five articles of clothing. Every Jewish man wore a ton, a ton, uh, excuse me, a tunic. He had a belt, sandals, a turban, and those basically all were of equal value, all four of them. But then there was the outer coat, and that was the most valuable uh, piece of clothing that they wore. And Jesus was particularly valuable because it was one single cloth, right? They didn't, so when they divided up, each one could take one of those four objects, but that, that cloak, that expensive part, they didn't want to ruin it. And so the Bible tells us, They crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots. See who was going to get it. They had to cast lots. Now, it's interesting because that is a quote from the 22nd Psalm, which says, They divided my garments among them, 
and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, I've, I've read a number of Bible scholars who trace this back to the 22nd Psalm. In fact, the 22nd Psalm says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But what Bible scholars believe is that Jesus, in his mind, as he's on the cross, he's going through the 22nd Psalm, probably quoting the whole Psalm to himself. And there's just certain parts of it that people hear. Well, Jesus is on the cross. He has seven sayings that people around the cross hear. But in even some of those come right here from the 22nd Psalm. For example, the first verse in the 22nd Psalm says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in the 16th verse where it says, They've pierced my hands and my feet. The last verse ends with these words, It is finished. Let me recognize that. That's how Jesus ended his time on the cross right as he died. He said, it is finished. Now, what the cross really is, is it's a picture of how much God loves you and me. And his love is so great that the Bible just says, for God so loved. Now, we have three sons and a daughter, and yesterday was our daughter's birthday. Our, she's our, our youngest, and she turned 28. And that's pretty wild when your youngest is 28. Yeah. But let me, let me just tell you something. Uh, if I had to give her up to pay for your sins, you'd just stay in your sin. <laughs> no parent would want to give their child. You would give your life for your child, but you wouldn't want to give your child's life. And that's why, why the Bible says God's love was so great that the way that he expressed that love was by giving his child. And it's at the cross that Jesus pays for your and my sin. Now, 700 years before Jesus is even born, there's a prophet in Israel named Isaiah. And God lets him look through, we can call it a prophetic telescope. And he looks down and he sees the crucifixion. And he says, surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. People thought that God was punishing Jesus, forsaking Jesus. But he was wounded for our transgressions was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned away every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It's at the cross that Jesus took your sin, my sin, our iniquity. The Bible says he was delivered up because of our offenses. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. Now, it's just not a physical death, but it's an eternal separation from God. So what God did is he sent Jesus in your place and in my place. The first Adam, the one that was married to Eve in a garden, lived in a garden, he sinned, and his sin let death, destruction, famine, war, pestilence, you name it. Every evil thing you can think of came in through that first Adam. But the Bible says God sent the last Adam, Jesus. And through him, 
we receive forgiveness. Through him, we're brought back into relationship with God. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. Look at me. There is a part of you that did not come from this world. The book of Hebrews says that God is the father of spirits. Now, the Bible is progressive revelation. What that means is that the farther you get in the Bible, the more God reveals about every truth. And it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, may the very God of peace sanctify you completely. Now, it's going to tell us here about the complete human being. It says, spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit. You have a soul or a mind, and you live inside of a body. But the real you is a spirit, and God is the father of spirits. Back in Genesis chapter 2, it says that the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the spirit of life, and he became a living soul. God breathed into him that breath, that spirit of life. That's the part of every person that is not of this world. And because there's a part of you that's not of this world, nothing in this world could redeem you. Everything in this world is temporary. But there's a part of you that came from the eternal realm. And because of that, a temporal thing could not redeem you. All the silver, all the gold. That's why Jesus said, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul? What would it profit you? Nothing, because you are more important. You're more valuable, because there's a part of you that came from the eternal realm. And that's why every single person will live someplace forever. Because there's that part of you. He breathed into him the breath of life. He became a living soul. How many have a pet? All right. Now, I'm not talking about a fish, but, you know, how many of you know your pet has a personality? All right. Now, your pet has a body and it has a soul, right? It has a personality, a mind, but it's not a living soul, right? When God breathed the spirit into a man and a woman, the spirit and the soul connected. And so he became a living soul. What does that mean? That means your soul will live forever and ever. After the stars fall from the sky like ripe Adam leaves, you will live on forever and ever. And because that part of you is immortal, will continue for all of eternity, you could not be redeemed with something from this world like silver and gold that's temporary. From the aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Let me remind you, Leviticus 17 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for your soul. Saying the blood can make an atonement. The blood can pay for your soul. But again, in Hebrews, it says the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, right? But Romans 3, verse 25 says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith 
in his blood. So God made Jesus a propitiation. How many of you use the word propitiation this week? <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not like you're going to go to Costco and say, hey, where's the propitiation aisle? I need some propitiation. I mean, what does it even mean? You know? Well, some of your translations say sacrifice. Right? He became a sacrifice through faith in his blood. Other translations say a mercy seat through faith in his blood. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus came, but that it was his blood that was shed at Calvary that paid for your sin and my sin. Now, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12 says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So what is, let me, let me explain this verse to you, kind of unpack this. Literally before Jesus, some 1600 years before Jesus, Moses was up on Mount Sinai with God. It's when he received the, the 10 commandments. How many have heard of those? All right. And while he was up there, God said to him, I want you to make a tabernacle, uh, like a portable church building. And then he said to him, he said, you make it exactly the way that I tell you. Right? And Moses comes down and he builds this, this tabernacle. And if you've ever read through your whole Bible, you get to that portion where God gives him the instructions. Right? And it's, I don't know, eight chapters long? Maybe not. It seems like it's 25 chapters. I mean, what I'm talking about. Right? And you're reading all this and the poles are going to be so long and you use, you know, make silver rings and put silver sockets on the silver rings and connecting the purple stuff with this one, you know, and you just, chapter after chapter after chapter. And you're, you're like, what in the world is all that about? Well, it's all about a box, by the way. It's all about a box. So Moses comes down and he builds this tabernacle. We've got a picture of a replica of that tabernacle that if you go to Israel, you can actually go and see the replica. That's basically what that tabernacle looked like, right? Now, from the top, it kind of looks a little bit different. It's divided into three parts. There's the outer court, the inner court. And then there's that one little part there that, that kind of, is that mauve? Is that purple, pink? What is that? I want to get the right color on Mother's Day, whatever it is. All right. Where it says holy of holies. Right. Now in that part, the priest, high priest, could only go one time a year. And the Bible said he could never go without blood. Right. In fact, he had to go in and there was a piece of furniture right in the middle there. And that's the furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. And everything is about that right there. Right. It's wood covered with gold. And it's a box. It's got a lid. Right. Up on the lid, you can see there's two little cherub angels. They've got their wings outstretched. Now, God told the children of Israel, he said, my tangible presence will be in between the angels' wings above the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the top. Right? And the priest goes in one time a year, never without blood, on the Day of Atonement. And he would walk up to that ark, and he would take that blood, and he would sprinkle it seven times. Right there. Now, if you were to open the top, the lid, lift up that mercy seat. How many of you know you don't ever do that? You saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, do not lift up the lid. All right. 
Now, if you would, all right, but you wouldn't. Let me just say, first of all, the well of souls is not in there. But what is there are the Ten Commandments. The very ones that God personally wrote out with his finger. They're inside there. God's presence is right above. All right. And you remember what they, the angels said in Isaiah about the Lord. They said, holy, holy, holy. All right. Now, let me remind you, because this is not true in English, but it's true in Hebrew. All right. Every time that you repeat something, it's a multiplier. Right. So if you say it's holy, well, it's holy. But if you say it's holy, holy, it's like, ooh. And if it's like holy, 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 three times, it's perfectly holy. Maybe like this. <clears throat> if I say I fall in a hole, you go, okay, hope you're all right. If I say I fall in a whole hole, you go, did they have to call an ambulance? If I say I fell in a hole, 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 you go, are you dead? Right? But God's not holy. He's not even holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And in those Ten Commandments, remember, they're in that ark. And, and by the way, anybody here ever broken any of them? <laughs> All right. So, so we've got this God who is holy, holy, holy. And we've got the Ten Commandments two feet underneath the presence of this holy, holy God. And in between, there's a mercy seat, and it is covered with blood. And again, the priest would go in one time a year, and he'd sprinkle that blood. And he'd do that until he got old and died. And then the next priest would come in, and he'd go in once a year, every year until he died. And then the next one would go in, and he'd do it until he died. And they just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. You say, why? Because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It could never really pay the price for sin. But Jesus, he went in to the tabernacle, not the one Moses built, but the one that God built. Because Moses had to build it exactly the way God told him because it was a copy, the Bible says, of one that God has in heaven. And Jesus went into the tabernacle in heaven. And he took his blood and he put it on the mercy seat in heaven. Now, he doesn't need to keep on going back because his blood paid permanently for sin. He put it there once, the Bible says, for all. Once for all. And it says he obtained an eternal redemption. You say, what does that mean? That means if you get set free on Sunday, you can still be free on Wednesday. And the next Wednesday, and the next, and the next, and the next. Because his redemption, it is eternal. Another translation says that it's complete redemption. In other words, God did not forget anything. It's complete. You will never go to God with your problem, with your situation, and say, God, this is where I'm at, and God, I need your help. And God go, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? We never thought of that. No, Jesus obtained a complete redemption. All right. Now, Hebrews chapter 12. 
Moses went up on Mount Sinai, and it says you haven't come to Mount Sinai, that mountain where there was lightning and thunder and blackness and smoke when God came down. He says, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of sprinkling is the blood that Jesus put on the mercy seat in heaven. And it says that it speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Cain kills Abel. And God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother? And he says, well, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, ah, his blood is crying out to me from the ground. And his blood cried out for vengeance, for justice. How many of you are glad God doesn't give you justice? But Jesus' blood is speaking on that mercy seat. And it says, Father, forgive them, love them, bless them, deliver them. Jesus' blood is speaking on our behalf 24 hours a day. So in 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. God so loved you that he sent Jesus to die for you and he was raised for your justification. And the Bible says because of that, we should not live for ourselves, but we should live for the one who died for us and rose again. Now, it's at the cross where God does the great exchange. It says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. It says that he that knew no sin, that's only one, that's Jesus became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. God took your unrighteousness and put it on Jesus, took Jesus' righteousness and gave it to you, that we would be reconciled to God. It's just a couple verses later where it says, for God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself. God was in Christ. You you know this, but I'm just going to remind you. When Jesus was on the cross, God was working in Christ, but he wasn't working on Christ. Got that? How many know Jesus didn't need any work? He was perfect to start with. He didn't have any problems. But God was in Christ, working in Christ on you, on me. What Jesus, what God did at the cross, he did not for Jesus, but he did for you and for me because Jesus was your representative and my representative. For God was in Christ. He was working at the cross on you, on me, restoring the world to himself. Wow. A lot happened. No longer counting or holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. You know what the devil tells people? Tells people all the time. He says, God's mad at you. God's not going to answer your prayers. God's not going to forgive you. God's not going to bless you. God's not going to use you in any way at all. You cannot get right with God. You've done so much wrong. 
But it is an absolute lie because at the cross, God was working on you. He was working on you and not just you. He was working on every person at the cross, right? And he is no longer holding men's sins against them. But what did he do at the cross? He blotted them out. You know, that, that lie that you cannot get right with God, that you've gone too far, you've done too much, it is this, that. It is a lie of the devil. In fact, listen, just the, the next verse says, we're Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We beg you as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, receive the love God offers. Be reconciled to God. He's saying if Jesus was here, he said, we're pleading in Jesus' place. If Jesus was here, he would plead with you. Be reconciled to God. Get right with God. That's what he would say to you today, every person. But the devil always tells you, no, you've done too much. God's not going to listen to you. God's not going to answer your prayer. God's not going to receive you. God's not going to forgive you. It is a lie. Now, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. It says that he is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Now, some of you may have heard that Jesus didn't die for everybody, but that is not true. The Bible says he is the Savior of all men. But notice the last part, especially those who believe. Why? It's like some, if somebody put a million dollars in a bank account in your name, how many of you know that you're a million dollars richer? But if you never go make a withdrawal, it does you no good. And that's what God's forgiveness is like. He offers you forgiveness. But you've got to come by faith and you've got to receive it. Again, the verse says, receive the love he offers you. Be reconciled to God. Come to God. Do not listen to the lies of the enemy who tells you you've done too much. You've gone too far. God won't receive you. God won't listen to you. God won't bless you. God won't answer your prayers. Every one of them, they're a lie. Would you please bow your head for just a moment? Now, if you're here today, but you're not right with God, this is what I mean when I say that. At one point, you lived for God, but somehow something like a wedge got in between you and God, and you've, you've drifted away. You never intended to, but you have. Or you're here today, and you do not know where you stand with God. If somebody said, are you going to go to heaven? You'd say, well, I hope so. I'll find out when I die. But the Bible says, know that you have everlasting life. You are not supposed to find out when you die. You are supposed to know today that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're on your way to heaven. And if you do not know that, you're not where you should be with God. So if you're not right, you don't know where you stand, you know you're far from God, and you say today, I want to receive the love, the forgiveness, the new life that God has for me. I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I say three, lift your hand. We're going to pray together. God's going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you are going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. But let me remind you, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Your way, 
your efforts, your works will not get you to God. My way, my efforts, my works will not get me to God. There is one way, and that's Jesus. He is the only way. So as you lift your hand today, the first thing you're saying to God is, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I know there's one Savior, only one, Jesus. And today, I'm coming to him to be forgiven, to be saved, to be made right with you. One, when you lift your hand, you're saying, today, I'm going to turn my back on my old life. I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to live for Jesus. Two, now get ready to lift that hand when I say three. When you lift that hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm receiving Jesus. I'm being reconciled to God. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to forgive me. My past is going to be gone. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Three, lift your hand right now. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.